Welcome to Strictly From Nowhere, a podcast experiment brought to you by the fellas at Cause of a Kind. Each episode is by bootstrappers for bootstrappers, featuring stories, mistakes, successes, and even some comedy all around our lifelong friendship and the journey through standing up a software development and digital marketing agency. Hello, and welcome to Strictly From Nowhere, the first episode of 2022, and this is going to be a big one. I am Mike Raspoli. And I'm Justin Abrams. And we are the founders of Cause of a Kind, a digital agency that has recently gone from side hustle to the hustle. I think that this is a poignant way to start Here we are, January 3rd, 2022, on the nose. Somehow, the universe timed it right that we quit our jobs on the last day of 2021. And we are now full-time in our own business. For those of you in our shoes a few years ago, this was a day that I did not think would ever come. Um, It has been a long time. How do you feel? liberated i think i think the very first thing that comes to my mind is is liberated you know we we have put so many hours into this dream not even into the effort right of course for for anything you got to put some effort into it but you know we have spent so much time just pipe dreaming this whole thing and you know like as you said like years ago we we probably have thought multiple times independently and together how like this is a a road to nowhere and um to finally be here is is incredibly satisfying it it is liberating in a way that you know overnight I'm, i'm working on a dream you know working working on a dream passion a dream career path and like we had it pretty good before this you know like we had a pretty cushiony pretty comfortable and we're, we're maybe idiots from the outside perspective for, for leaving what we had in place and doing this, but this is the, this is the chance. It's literally our, our freedom rings and we're liberated to go and pursue our own creativity and make our own mark here. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing, you know, for me, I, I come from a, an anti-entrepreneurial family for the listeners that can that can relate, you know, my my parents there's there's an old Larry David skit where like he talks about how his parents wanted him to be a mailman and like that was the goal. You know, like my my parents it was a civil service. My dad was a cop, my mom was a nurse. The whole own your own business thing was just real risky. It's not the thing you should be doing. But for some reason it's something I always wanted to do since I was a little kid. Um, I was always starting my own businesses. Some people, it was the lemonade stand. It wasn't for me. I did door-to-door car wash. That was my thing. Um, right outside this house that I'm sitting in right now, you know, I, I bought a house down the street from where I grew up, you know, and uh, it it's quite interesting to kind of think about how everything kind of conspired for this to happen at the right moment. You know, this was a hard year in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Um, but it did make this business possible for us, the ability to work from home and to really hustle at the edges of our day. 
Um, and yeah, I, I think we ruminated back and forth, right? We some there was a time when we were like, we'll just keep it a side hustle forever. We'll keep our jobs, and but the business kept growing. At at a point, it just kept growing, and and we just hit a point where we just couldn't do it anymore. And I think that's when we knew it was right. And I, I think there's a lot of advice out there. We, you know, put a number in your head. It should be this much of your salary, this much of that. I, I think at some point you hit a point where the business is busy enough that you cannot do both. Um, and that's what we hit. We just kind of hit that point and, and people were buying what we're putting down, right? So you can adjust things. Uh, the advice I'd give to people is like, you can raise rates, you can increase efficiencies, you can do all that stuff to increase your kind of profitability and, and things of that nature. But, but the first step is you have to get, you have to have enough business that you, you can't do your full-time job anymore. And that kind of shows you, um, just feels great. Just feels amazing. <laughs> you know, um, we were talking about it a little bit the other day, but the, we were, our hand is forced here. Honestly, like we have invested so much time into ourselves as professionals outside of our agency. And you're hundred percent right. It's like, well, what do you do when, when your, your customer just falls into your lap? Like we don't do a huge marketing motion. You know, we're not out here cold calling and trying to get new business all the time. Like we are simply putting out good work and our reputations precede us. And we're, we're lucky to be in that position right now. It's gotten us here. But this hand played out on its own. It, it, it became bigger than a freelance side hustle. It, it became bigger than just you and me doing the work, right? Like, and at some point, just orders of scale, like, I was not trying to work two full-time jobs. We did that for a, quite a period of time. And when we started, when we started the need to delegate, that is when the hand is played. At that point, there is just too much on the side of this is now a company. This is not even a business. This is now a company where there are multiple stakeholders. There are multiple uh, people that rely on the on the function of this business, there are projects and, and, you know, project costs that like is way beyond what we could potentially fulfill individually. And at that point, when you allow your business to grow into a company, it's, it's, you're, you're either both feet in the sun or you're out. Like there is no half-assing a company mentality. Um, and this hand simply played out for us. Right. Yeah, I, I would say as an engineer, the hardest thing for me was like letting go of control mm -hmm. um, of every aspect of every project. And like, you know, I was trying to keep up with all the code reviews and making all my comments and making sure everything was written the way that I would have written it. And and we just got so busy, I couldn't even do that anymore. And I And I just had to trust, right? I had to trust the team. I had to trust the people. Um, and we're in that position now, right? You know, it, you we're sort of like, we know we need to hire now. We want to hire ahead of the projects we need. But it's a scary place to be because you go from this employee mentality to a company mentality. And you kind of go from this like, oh, you only want to spend exactly the money that you need, I think is one of the things you're always thinking about, right? Like, I don't want to hire a person until I, until the project starts. Like, I want them to start the day the project starts. But then the project suffers, right? That that was something we ran, like where we had to staff up so fast for two, three projects at a time that people didn't even get any adequate, tr they basically learned on the job. And thankfully we survived and the team was good enough to do that. 
But that's not really comfortable. And that's not really the way you want to be doing it all the time. And and I think now we want to present a much more buttoned up approach. And um, and we can do that, right? But but the funny thing, I think, you know, people are like, well, what was the first day at work like? Well, I spent two hours on the phone with an attorney because we realized our contract sucked, <laughs> right? And uh, then I spent another two hours revising the contracts. Um, so... And, and uh, I think you might be getting a little bit of an echo there. So the first day on the job was 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 spent with a lot of legal, and uh, and it was kind of fun, right? It's it's sort of like business style, but it wasn't spent doing a lot of coding. Like we didn't go back to the old way of me doing all the work, like and you doing all the client relations. Like that's not how today worked out. We we're actually working on our business, not in our business, which is really cool about, you know, so if you're out there doing your business as a side hustle and you're going to try and grow it as big as you can get it before you quit that cush job, um, that I think is an important point to make is like, you kind of have this advantage, right? The advantage is you don't have time. And the advantage is you have to grow it as a business. You really can't think of it as, I'm an, I'm a freelancer with a LLC name on top of me. And and we our hand was definitely forced by doing what we did. Um I can't sit here and give people hard and fast rules like you have to double your income or whatever cuz cuz what what ended up happening is you know we would sign more projects, we would see the dollars, we would hit the number dollar-wise that we needed to quit, but after we hired people and looked at our margin, we were like, "Oh, we can't quit again." Like, you know, we're you know, like cuz you're but that's good. Patience is good. Deploying patience was always the key. Always the key. You know, and I, I think both of us have experience with this, which is, um, you know, we have our, our core craft that, that we've worked very hard over a long period of time to, to, to develop. But as entrepreneurs, that's a whole new skill set. And I think what's really important for anybody that is looking to evolve their, their freelance skill set into a business is when you have replaced your skill set with a team member, with an outsourced solution, with an employee, you have to continue to move on to the next discipline within the scope of being an entrepreneur. And I, I think that's something that you and I are so hungry for, right? Like I am psyched to sit on the phone with the lawyer for two hours because it is a new education. I'm excited to open up the books with an accountant and bookkeeper because it's a it's it's new. The payroll aspect, the HR aspect, the administrative structure, uh, you know, there's no middle management in our agency. I, I'm middle management, senior management, leadership management, like everything falls on us and we welcome that. And that might be a little different for a lot of organizations out there, but then you know what you need to replace. If you're the the type where you have a product or service where customers are just coming to you left and right, but you can't figure out how to scale your business. Well, now you know what type of partner or employee you need to hire. You don't need to hire a developer like we did. You need to hire a business administrator. You need to hire somebody who can do business development or payroll function or human resources, right? The, the goal, if the goal is to do your business full time and matriculate away from either the freelancer or, you know, the, the, the 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 paid career you have to think about the areas that you're ambitious enough as an entrepreneur to go learn for yourself or replace yourself in those disciplines because they're they're critical and unavoidable 
Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's no, um, you know, we did an earlier episode about this too, like how all the advice we used to get was to be like more of a sales or a lead generation person. And we were like, but we like our crafts and, and we were trying to do it differently. And I, I think now six months out from that or however far it's been, I don't even know. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, right? Um, I think I have a little bit of a different perspective on that and realized that a lot of that advice was, was pretty spot on in that, you know, you have to really, you do have to enter that where you're selling the company. And, and a lot of it is relying on your expertise, right? Like my expertise helps sell software for us. Um, but it's, it's important that you always, now your job is to make sure that steady flow of business is coming in. Um, and event, I think the sales team is the thing that comes last, right? That That's like, you are the sales team when this, when this kind of cranks up and, and there's no avoiding that. Right. And wouldn't it be true, right? Like you have to be the original sales motion because if you're not, how do you know where your failings are, your shortcomings as a product and service are? How, how do you know how to instruct your inbound sales team um, as to what they can do to position your product or service a little bit more intelligently? You, you, you at some point, and this is not advice, right? Like this is our experience. Like we are becoming masters of our sales process. Our reputation so far has done a pretty good job of when people come to us, they already have a, a, a pretty good idea of the type of talent that they're talking to. But we are we are developing our sales motion. We are we are determining where our core values are and and what could be the result of partnering with us. That that's not something that we historically ever really had to exercise, right? We've always been in a position where we're simply fielding inbound reputation. If it's a warm call at 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 the least. So that's a huge component of this is inevitably if it becomes a company you have a sales motion because your network is only so expansive and your reputation is only going to provide you with so much business. But Becoming a, a master of your core offering, determining how your prospective customer values your product or service, it tells you a lot about yourself, right? Like I've learned more about myself as a salesman from cause of a kind than I ever have in my 13 years of professional selling because I'm selling somebody else's product with that career path, right? I, I'm emotionally disconnected in, inherently. I, I have a script that's been developed by the founder and is tried and true for the last, you know, 10 years that if I articulate this with enough passion and emphasis, I'll be successful here. This could not be more evergreen, right? Like you and I are literally just throwing it against the wall. And of course we're coming from an educated perspective, but we don't know what works and what doesn't work. Well, it's worth noting, right? We went, we came from multiple years of, basically getting rejected mm -hmm. of, of sales pitch and rejection. And this year we didn't lose any sales. Yep. Well, do I know what changed? We didn't take a sales course or anything like that, but I think that we refined our pitch. We refined our offering. We were more confident in what we were offering. And now I'm trying to deconstruct what changed from this year versus years prior. Um, you know, there's a lot of these programs that we did, like the lead gen, you know, we've tried like all sorts of Craigslist tricks and ads and, and, you know, there's a lot of these agency kind of programs out there that, that kind of put you in, in those spots. But I think that ultimately you have to figure out 
your own lead gen and sales motion. There's really not, there's not a, a cookie cutter recipe for getting leads. That's what I've learned. You know, a lot of these leads came from my own network. People randomly calling me like I'm building something. First of all, like just right now, everybody is trying to build something. Like it feels like all the people that I grew up with as an engineer are now founding their own companies. Um, it, they they maybe were from engineering. One was from recruiting, right? The other, you know, the others, they come from all different places that I've worked with in the past and they're calling and they're like, hey, I finally got something. I got funding for something. They're introducing us to friends who have startups. Um, we're sort of seeing a very big explosion right now in people who want to build software. And I think that positions us really well to be partners with these people. But we it was hard for us to find that, right? Everybody had all sorts of little tricks. Let's do some LinkedIn things. Let's do these LinkedIn automations, right? And and I remember we were both sitting here like, we're a victim of LinkedIn automations. They are terrible. Terrible. So how do we get a how do we get away from that? Um and ultimately we had to find our own path. So like I can give people marketing ideas and ways to figure that stuff out. But I, I would ultimately, I, I don't think that I can even begin to tell you how to find that, 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 that hitting the lead gen curve is like, that's the hardest part in the beginning. Anyway, yeah. getting those consistent leads, finding those partnerships. Um, and now where are we at, right? We were talking about last week, social. That's another thing like marketing and social. I think we have to figure it out for ourselves. Yeah. We, we can hire somebody, but who's going to know your business? Them. How do, right. How do we even begin to tell them what to do, what our brand is? Because it's, it's existed in our mind for so long. Like you and I have always been on the same page about what we wanted the brand to be and what we wanted the service to be. But We've also taken shots in the dark. We've experimented. We shot commercials, right? We've done greenfield projects. We've mm-hmm. done brownfield projects. We've done, and we've seen what works. We've done technology we're familiar with. We've jumped in on technology we're not so familiar with. Um, and we've seen different areas of, of growth and opportunity. Um, so it, it's pretty great uh, that we were able to figure that out. And I think that, you know, if I had to give any advice to people kind of on this path, it's Take the while you have your job, take the time to screw up, make those mistakes. You know, we we made lots of we've lost money on at least three projects this year. I give you like straight up, and you're going to do that. Like, you're founding an agency, you're scoping it for the first time. You know how fast you can complete a project, but you do not know the velocity of your team on day one. And that's one thing we learned the hard way, right? Like, you. You don't know, and what combinations of team members work faster together, or got all that stuff starts to come in, and, and you're a new agency, so you're not charging the big money. You're not you're not out there, you know, out there with the massive margins. You don't got money to lose, so keep your job and figure that stuff out because that was the key to this year for us. Like we hit it, we found our stride. And now we've made those mistakes under safety. And so when we kind of jumped off this cliff, it doesn't feel so much like jumping off a cliff. You know, it's interesting. We we, uh, we talked about this the other day, but a, a big portion of why we have been able to get to this point, right? Successful is measured to be seen, right? But I think to this point, um, something that we have always really been aware of is our stake in this claim, right? Like what we have to lose here will prevent me from failing. It will prevent us from 
going dry as far as our sales cycle uh, and pipeline, you know, what, what you and I as individuals have at stake would keep anyone from allowing this to fail. And I think that that is an, uh, an additional point of, you know, let's call it crossing the chasm, right? Because you're making a big transition from securities, cushy life, where, where I've gotten very used to living this way over a decade and a half. And, you know, it's been a badge of honor to be able to have a full-time job and to be freelancing a full-time job. And like, I could easily say I was working 60 to 80 hours a week. And like, I wore it as a badge of honor. And now when this is the sole you know this is the sole source of income this is the sole focus for us like what we have at stake here is real so you know mike you you said it best the other day we were really talking about it but if if we are in a competitive head-to-head if we are in a negotiation if we are building trust with a prospect if we are so forth and so on like we are we are built to win oh i yeah i know exactly the conversation you're talking about and i said if i'm going head to head so the, yeah this is a big advantage right like um you put your family you know we both have families you put your family's livelihood on the line you put your home on the line you put your reputation on the line you're selling for your company there is no salesman on the planet that is the employee of another agency that is going to take me down in a sales room, period. End of story. You won't be able to do it because you're not as hungry as I am. Your family's not as like, you get paid whether you lose that sale or not. It's disappointing. You still collect your paycheck. You still put food on the table. It don't matter to you. You don't have anyone else. You're not thinking about the employees of that company, right? When you're a salesman and you lose a deal, you don't think, oh, maybe I got to lay off some engineers. You're like removed from that decision. I have to do that. Like I'm going to be the person that has to sit down and fire people when I don't make the sale. That's a big deal. you know. And it also helps, right? I'm literally the person. I'm the engineer. I built the stuff. You know, We don't have salespeople that are like sales engineers that maybe have never built a thing in 10 years or something like that or selling a, a product like – I'm literally talking to you as though I'm going to be building your product and understand it. But when you're at this stage, you know, where we're at, I'm not getting beat by another agency. I'm not getting beat by an employee of another agency. If I get beat, it's going to be by another agency owner, but I'm not walking into a room to lose to an employee. And and it also just becomes incredibly obvious, you know, when you, when you have as much skin in the game as we do, you maximize every at bat. So by, by no means do I want to give anybody the false impression. We are, we are not rich with leads. We just maximize whatever leads we actually get. And we have a very interesting process of qualifying leads of discovering through leads. We have probably what is a, a, an unnecessarily long sales process and we probably give a lot away as far as value and information before we ever really think about getting to discussion about contract or commercials. And maybe we'll refine that here in 2020. But when you have to lose what we have to lose, I am not interested in generating t- 
tons and tons of leads. I am interested in generating a small quantity of highly qualified long-term partnerships that will, of course, generate enough cash for us to scale our business. Now, one day we may create a significant sales motion where, you know, we're generating hundreds of leads and have a sales team that has to go through the process of closing said leads. But we're not there today. And you and I are still actively participating in our business in a lot of places. If we were to fill our calendar every day with tons and tons of leads, first calls, we would be stifled. And I don't even know how we would generate that many leads. You know, like we we haven't even figured that part out yet. Well, you don't need volume. I think this is the problem that a lot of people think. They think they need this crazy volume of leads, but it, that's not what you want. You want you want targeted, high quality people that are looking for a very specific thing. We do spend the time to qualify, like you know, and when, we can tell right away. I could tell right away when I can help somebody. Right? Somebody comes to me. They have a, the piece of software they're either building that they want to build. There's a problem in their business. I know I can help anybody um, when it comes to that kind of thing. So it's just a matter of me finding that on the call and then finding people who need this kind of help. But they, I don't know, they they tend to come to you when you put it out there into the world, right? When you're talking to people that you know, like most of our leads come not even from referrals, but from people we know. One came from a former employee. Another came from a former coworker. Someone else saw a post on Twitter and said, you know, and, and, and said something to us, you know, like you really just need to put it out there that this is what you're doing. You need to talk to people about it all the time. Um, and then when you get into that sales room, like we talked about, I think I think Jordan Belfort calls this forward pacing, which is putting yourself in the mindset to close, but it's really just a positive mindset. And for you and I, we're always in that positive mindset because this, like, we're just happy to be here, right? We're just psyched on our business, on what we can do, on how we can help people. And so that's very easy. Now, now here's the challenge, right? It's like you and I, we talk as business owners and we talk to people who want to be business owners, but how do you get your employees to feel that sense of ownership? I, I think, I, I think that's the next big challenge for us. Cause I don't think I figured that out, you know, um, even from our engineers when we, we are going to hire a sales force eventually. So how do we get it to a point where they're never going to lose a deal? Now, I don't want to put your house on the line to make it so that, you know, that that's not right. You're going to be paid a salary. But how do you get into that <clears throat> that really good mindset to close? We talk about this with engineers too, not even in the sales motion, but like when we demo software, right? How to get their enthusiasm up, how to get them, how to show them how to showcase the best parts of the project, right? Sometimes engineers get hung up on like some some little bug that happened in the demo or they're showing some relatively unimpressive parts of the project or you know they're really focused on trying to show every single little piece of it and you know how how do you create great presentations how do you um but how do you get people into that positive mindset how do you get them to think like an entrepreneur or feel like an entrepreneur because i do want people to feel like this business is theirs too um i'm very very grateful for the team um but i know myself right that's the challenge nobody no job would have satisfied us. So like here, here we are, right? And like we have team members who are definitively entrepreneurial and I have to accept the fact that one day they're going to bounce and found their own business because there's no other way for that to end for them. 
you know, and so I'm, I'm hoping I can just teach them as much as I can about that. This is interesting. Like the very first thing that comes to my brain is franchising. Like I'm always thinking entrepreneurial forward, right? Like if they're going to go and be an entrepreneur, you might as well franchise off of us, tap into greater corporate resources, tap into the reputation, like, you know, to well, be, yeah, like that, but you're a hundred percent right that there are definitely some team members that, you know, have their own thing going and like want to make their own mark. And like, if you're doing the right thing as an employer and you're really giving people a valuable experience, you know, if they have an entrepreneurial spirit, inevitably they're going to want to go and break away because who, who wouldn't want to be their own boss? If that is your goal is to be an entrepreneur, why wouldn't you ever want to realize that? Because it's not about, the freedom that it gives you, like, I'll never have a free minute of my life ever again. But it's the ability <laughs> to cultivate your own life. And I love what I do. It is not, I am not working anymore. I am creating on a daily basis, minute to minute. Like, I am not out here trying to exercise a set of skills for the benefit of a greater corporation. I, I'm here to create a legacy for myself, for you, for our kids for this business. And, you know, to me, when you see an employee with that ambition, it's important to elevate them to a position where they're exercising the skill sets required to be successful. Should that be their endeavor? Because that's where they will stick with you the longest, right? If they want to be a leader of their own business, you should probably make them a leader of yours and make that a part of their quote unquote MBA yeah, I agree. And or like in, in the case of myself as an engineer, you know, I would have been perfectly happy, you know, to have like owned some of the products of profits of a product that I wanted to build or, or just have the freedom to try and experiment. And, and we definitely offer that right away to employees. Like a lot of businesses are like, oh, yeah, you got to get to this month. Like we don't have the time for that. We offer educational opportunities right away to employees. We let them build things on their own right away. Um and we're going to roll out more programs like that. And you have to you have to establish that early because if you do it while it's hard, you will figure out how to make it work when it gets harder. Because I think that a lot of people think, oh, yeah, when we have more income, things are going to get easier. And it's not the case. You are just busier. You have more meetings, more things going on, more projects with deadlines. So you do need to bake it into the schedule from the beginning of like, we want you guys to be improving and growing and um and and again, owning your products, like we've talked about this, some kind of program, maybe not a franchise, but like almost where we're the investor in a thing they want to build, you know, and and, and maybe there's a small slice of, of ownership that comes with that. It's almost like a a VC that will pay you to it's a cool earn your own sweat. Yeah, sweat equity. I don't know how to describe it, but it yeah, it's like a cooperative, you know, like like a mutual investment. Yeah, there's there's too many stories out there. This nonsense with like you know young people that that found a company sleeping on the couch and and eating ramen for weeks and we're not that. No. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, I got two kids. Justin's got one kid. We both have <laughs> wives. We own homes. We own cars. I'm not sacking my. I'm not making my kids eat ramen because I want to do this thing. Right. So just 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 as a to be clear, that's not what's going on now. If you want to go into Web three right now crypto you probably gotta do that like you know you're gonna get a vc investor 
or you're going to take a shot in the dark, right? <clears throat> I think one good thing about agencies, service-based businesses is you earn income right away. You offer a service that you know people are buying right away. You can you can then create the room for those projects. And that's what we're working on doing right now because our end goal is not to be an agency forever. We want the agency to kind of grow into into suites of tools and products that we want to build. So we definitely have the goal of doing that, I think, in the long term. Um, but we're going to do it in the relative comfort of the service-based business. Yeah. And there is no sh- there's no shortage. Like We partner with other agencies. The cool thing about the digital agency space is it's like project management tools. There's no market cap. They, you just can't put a number on it. Everybody's buying and building software in some respect. You will find somebody that needs a website or that needs an app or that wants to build a company or that has an inefficiency in their backend systems. It's just there. It's out there for everybody. There's no point in us killing each other over it. There's uh, my agency can live and your agency can live and that person's agency can live. They're all, it, it's very wide open. And so if you do have a situation where you have a family and you can't eat ramen for a year or two years and you're not willing to do it, just know that that's not the path you have to take. That's just, you, you know, there's a lot, there's just too many stories of that out there. And there's not a lot of stories about people who took a, a careful metered approach to things. You know, it's, it's, it's this burning urgency and I felt it for years. You know, I'm opposite of you. I come from a very long line of entrepreneurs. You know, I've seen, I've seen what that lifestyle can do for my whole life. And I always knew that I was going to exercise being an entrepreneur full-time at some point. So it gave me inherent patience. And it's a common theme that you and I have always practiced. Like we would know when the time has come. And for damn sure, we knew when the time came. But we did. A lot of people are very quite impulsive, right? You you go to school. For most like me, school is really not the best best possible path. You know, like I probably would have been better going to the military for a couple of years or something. And you come out of school, and you can either abstain from getting a job because you're, you know, I don't want to say ignorant or or resistant is maybe a better word to going and working for the man right? Going and getting a formal job, but a job in the actual skill set. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know what I, what I want to do with my life. But a lot of the times, if you're that ambiguous, wouldn't the goal be to get into some type of a service-based business or some type of digital skill set? Like if you know that you eventually want to be entrepreneurial, why wouldn't you begin a career that gives you the education Rather than suffering with no income and trying to do as you say, right? Eat your ramen, live on a shoestring budget, and try to build something from scratch. When you could simultaneously have a career, build your life, build your reputation, build your network and skill set, and at the same time, slowly build the concept of a business. Now, I wouldn't expect that most people are going to be able to sit in it for six years and pivot a hundred times and fail a thousand times and, you know, drag their families through it. Like, you know, this is our way and what has worked for us and has brought us to this moment. I don't know if that's going to work for everybody else, but 
I feel like we're at an extreme side. Like there's definitely a way that you can do this a little bit faster, especially if you have less on the line, you know, but we're definitely in that camp of extreme patience and extreme willingness for trial and error and um, milking our professional experiences to ensure that when we got here, that we are ready, that we, that we have accelerated our careers and our experiences to the point where the majority of things that we will encounter on a daily basis, we can handle. doesn't matter whether we're experienced with it. You know, transparently, I've never sat on the phone with a lawyer before, let alone two hours to discuss my equity agreement for a company that we're participating with. Like, I've never done that before, but I've been around enough contracts in my life and have dealt with enough big brands in my life to understand why we're here and what the capacity is and what the ultimate goal is. Absolutely. I I think that's a, I I think that's another key thing is like you, you sort of find interest in these other areas of the business, like the legal side of things. And you'll just get better at that, right? Like I imagine that we will spend less time on the lawyer over time because you and I will know more about it, or we will just say, Hey, we trust you to just run with this. Right. Um, you know, again, things like your accounting, right? We did a we did that for a long time, and then shit got crazy this year, man. For me, and, man. <laughs> and we needed we needed Help. the accountant. Yeah, we needed. Yeah, we we hit a point where we were like, hey, we need someone to do this. We were looking for the business loan. We tried to do it ourselves. We got crushed out there going to banks. Then we called help. And he did it right away. So that's another big thing is like hiring, paying people and not, you know, it's really easy as an entrepreneur to be suspicious of every service that everyone's offering to be like, oh, is it worth this much money? Is it worth that? Oh, we got to pay them this much. Every single person we've hired has been worth it. Every, every single, like every single, that per- man, Chris handled that loan so well. We were, we were getting murdered out there trying to find the trying to do all those, get all that paperwork together. And he just knew how to navigate the space. And it's really pays to get a specialist um, in there. And, and for those of you, you know, wondering like, wait, you guys got a loan. Is that, no, it's not like venture money. You owe it back. um, The first thing. Second thing is the, the, the key thing is we are not, um, we did not get a loan to use without the business. We have a lot of receivables, and you'll hit this with your agency, and they're kind of on these net 30 kind of terms, but you got to pay your employees monthly. So I think the first thing that agency owners are going to run into when they hit a certain scale, right? You sort of are like when you get yourself up to like the ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month coming in realm – all of a sudden you start running into cash flow problems. You have business, but you don't have cash. And you need that to survive. And as an agency, you're not going to get VC money. That's not available to you. So this is one disadvantage of the approach we're saying. It's like, yeah, you don't have to live on ramen. You can bring in business and pay yourself and all that good stuff. But you do run into a little bit more of like, hey, how do I manage cash flow? That's like your first challenge as an entrepreneur is learning about this. And it's a and then all of a sudden, you start talking to your other entrepreneur friends and you realize they're all dealing with it across every industry, yep. every single industry. We got friends who own coffee shops. We got friends who have a landscaping business. We got a friend who owns a hedge fund. All of them have cash flow problems. Yep. Uh, 
call them problems, but they have to deal with it. And you want to know why? It's because all the big guys don't pay on time. That's, that's it. And it all rolls downhill now across all the industries. No, but it's, it's generally just a common problem. And, and we, we had to, we had to figure out the solve for that. And so I think that was one of our challenges that I, I would love, you know, um, I can give advice now looking back on it, how we were able to get through it. Um, but the key is to just get ahead of it. Uh, I think that the the idea of a loan or lines of credit is somehow like a dirty word in the tech industry because everybody wants that free OPM, other people's money. But it it's not the only way. Like you can run a really sustainable business. If you're really good at bringing in money and remaining profitable, it's actually a really good move to keep your own equity and to, and to, to get a loan. Um, and move forward with that. And again, the, you know, you, you want the cash flow to be there or else you won't get really much. Of, you won't get very far with the bank. So like, obviously, we had to have the cash flow to get there. Um, but it, it's it's worth it. Um, and so I think that's another side of the coin that really is only touted like that in the bootstrapping world, this sort of like this very uh, biopic view, if you will, of uh, there's VC. There's the VC path and then there's the bootstrap path. And when you picture the bootstrap path, you're picturing like they just funded it with their own money and the profits. Uh, you use some, you know, you use some credit credit and loans are available to you and they, they should be wielded as tools. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and and we're such a young business that like the idea of giving up equity at right now for cash seems lazy to me. You know, like, I'm. how do I even know what it's worth, right? Like, I can give somebody, like, a full percentage of my business. Imagine somebody had a full percentage of, of a big tech company called Facebook. You know, like, I'm just not in a position at the moment. And, like, again, maybe we're, maybe we're talking silly. And maybe there's an investment advisor out there that wants to help us change our minds and, and is willing to convince us that giving up some equity at an early stage is a good idea. Justin at causeofakind.com. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think we were in a position right now where like you and I really believe in what is possible here and we're going to preserve that equity and that ownership as much as we possibly can. And, you know, we did, we don't want to dilute. We didn't want to get piggish. I don't need millions of dollars right now to, to help with our accounts receivable. You know, we, we, we literally did exactly what we needed to do and we did not, we did not get excessive because it is very easy to go out. I don't want to say very easy in our network where we live, the opportunities that we have and the people that we know, it would be quite easy for us to go out and collect a round of a couple of million two, three million. I don't think that that's unreasonable, but why? I don't need that right now. It wouldn't help me except it would remove me from the need to become a student of my business. I would literally just hire everybody to do everything that I don't know how to do. And my education would stop and I would get stale. And eventually you become a, a, an uninformed participant, an uninformed owner. And that's just not my path at this point, right? Maybe we'll think differently towards the end of this year or next year. Or, but I am very confident that our ability to be a cash positive business and to not incur debt, partners unnecessarily lose equity of this business and dilute ourselves. I don't think it, I think it's premature. 
Well, this is also happens to be one of the best times in history to get a small business loan, right? The interest rates are as low as they're ever going to get, I think. I don't know. I mean, who the heck knows what the government's willing to do, but it's the interest rates are pretty darn low. Um, the other, like you said, the other side of this is like, if you follow a VC path, one of the criticisms people have is you get really good at spending money and not very good at making money. And I think it would be very easy for us to like undersell every contract and uh-huh. lose money on deals and, and say like, look, we have a lot of money coming in. We have a lot of business coming in, but we're not, but we're not watching our margins. Like you would say, but don't worry, we'll figure out how to make it profitable later. That's like a really common thing in that VC. It's like, we'll just figure out how to make it profitable later. Don't worry about it. No, it's, the minute we have a deal that loses money, we're like, we got to course correct it. We have to course correct it that day right there and figure out how to make it profitable um, or find another deal and, and then make take take that and make it better. Because as your contracts get bigger, right? Like let's say you sign a $30,000 website deal and you, you're off by 10% or 20%. That's not such a big deal, right? It's, it's a recoverable amount of money in your profit, but you learn. Now, let's say you signed a $100,000 deal or $200,000 deal or a million dollar deal and you're off by 10%. That's a that's a much bigger loss to weather. Okay. You want to take your licks on the small deals. You want to know what you can do. And the thing is you're learning, right? And we talked about this. We sit we sit around and we want to learn all the things that we have done wrong. Like how long does it take to build a login flow? How long does it take to build a notifications flow? How long does it take to build a basic e-commerce experience, a checkout experience. These, all these things that we're learning are really important to do on smaller projects where the stakes are not so high, ideally before you've quit your job. <laughs> so you've, you know, and now you have a little bit of a benchmark because when the next deal comes in, you're like, okay, I can do this. Uh, this is exactly how much it costs for me to stand this project up again. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the secret the secret kind of thing there, though, too, is it forces you to increase your rates when you've been wrong. You, it's really hard to go into a negotiation and not want to sign the deal and just use price as the bargaining chip. But once you see the numbers, once you understand that there's more at stake and you have people that depend on you, you sit there and you go, well, I can't drop the price anymore. This is so. What what else can I do to sell? How do I show the value of what we're trying to build for this person? And that's how you kind of learn to increase rates, to provide, to sell on value, and to really, really understand that you want to run a profitable business. It's it's just you you don't want to be running businesses at a loss, right? That's that's a little bit of a that's a little bit of a theme that ran through our old. Uh, through our old ethos, right? Like, well, yeah, we're five years to cash flow positive. Nah, <laughs> you, you you want to stay cash flow positive all the time. <laughs> all the time, as best as possible. As, as, yeah, as best as you possibly can be. Listen, it, it, that's not to say you're not going to have some months uh, or even a year where you had to have a down year or something like that. I mean, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, but for us, we've always really focused on keeping the receivables higher than the payables. That's really that was really the that was our initial ethos, and we kind of stick to that. Well, you know, you asked me today, uh, just at the start of our um, episode here, what's the feeling that comes to your mind? Right. This is a this is I've known you for a very long time. This is this is against 
the security blanket that you've created for yourself in your life. And, and I wonder my adjective to describe today is liberated, but to close this out today, how do you feel on the first day of the rest of your life? (laughs) So I want to say the word is surreal because I kind of don't believe it. Like I sat down at my desk today. I got my list of stuff. I knew I had to do all these things. Um, but it, I don't know. It, it like settles in in waves. I just almost don't believe that it that we did it. You know, I, I don't know how else to describe that. Like it, it's, it's it, I get these moments of like incredible pride and relief. And then I get moments of fear, I think. I'm like, oh my God, like, are we going to be okay? Like, like this has to close that. And then, then I go back to like, but we're good. Like we have a lot, you know, we have a lot of existing projects. And then I go back to like, are we finishing them on time? Is the team, you know, now that I have more time, right? Because now I shed the job and all of a sudden, boom, I have all this time to work on my business. Now I'm in there. I'm checking their code. You know, I, I'm like, should I be a micromanager today? No, don't go back to that, you know, but I can, I can give them a lot more help that I know that they've been needing. That, that is one thing that I know the team has been desperate for. And I was able to provide that today, you know, where like I'm able to actually review more of their code and, and help them out. But, you know, now I got to spend time on some training materials for people. I have to do a bunch of hiring tomorrow. Like we need to, we need at least two more engineers and you, you and I both know that we need a, we need a customer success person. So new challenges, man, that, but all, all stuff that I have time to do now. Um, and, but then I'm sort of like, did that happen? Did did this just really happen? Like, I mean, we've been going, we've been grinding at it for so long that it's hard to believe that it happened for both of us at the same time because we did discuss what happens if we both can't quit on the same day and someone has to go before the other one. And what, and I don't know how it worked out that it was like literally like January 1, 2022, like new year, new you. But that always seems to happen to me. I, I tend to quit jobs like right on the new year mark for some reason. I don't, I don't know in my past just had to see it through you know like we 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 had to see it through and for some reason i'm sure most people are like this like the end of the year for some reason marks an opportunity for clean slate new outlook new hopes and dreams and like i think it's quite apropos you know i'm i'm a, I'm a poetic and and uh relatively sentimental individual and like for me it couldn't have worked out better um it couldn't have been more graceful. It couldn't have been more professional. It couldn't have been more, more respected and well-received. And, you know, for, for me, it was the only real way that I would have considered in hindsight. We, we, you know, we, we tried to stagger. We, we thought about doing that. And then there's just something about align, aligning. And we've, we've been literally step, step by step together for this entire way. And doing it any other way wouldn't have made, wouldn't have made sense. It, 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 it wouldn't have felt right. And it's interesting to be here. And I'm, I'm psyched that you chose that word because, um, you know, that'll name our episode. And um, I, I, I think surreal liberation is like a real interesting combination of words because it's probably what we both feel collectively, which is the, the lesson that I hope to one day teach my kid that, that you're one day going to teach your kid. And it's, it's only surreal when it actually was a dream. If it wasn't important to you and you're, you actually made a mistake here, you wouldn't be thinking that it was surreal. 
And I wouldn't be thinking that I'm liberated. I would have think like, oh shit, I'm in trouble now. You know, like I no, that that that's what I would say. Yeah, like like it, it, I definitely know like we're not trouble. Right. Like that's the cool that's the cool thing about doing it this way is you're not jumping off the cliff. Mm-hmm. We. You know, we we've definitely had friends that do that. They went from making good money and then they jumped off the cliff to zero, and then they're ju- they're still pedaling the bike uphill. We pedaled the bike uphill while still working. Mm-hmm. So we we did we did kind of a very uh, metered approach. Could we have done it faster? I don't think so, to be honest with you, because so. it, it still took all the stuff you have to figure out is not things that you're super in control of like lead generation and getting the right deals and like all that stuff just had to happen, right? Like we had to put the time into the business. We had to meet the right people and it, it just had to happen the way it had to happen, I guess. Um, you know, unless you've literally built a product, released it. And now you're out there trying to sell it. Maybe if you, you know, you want to get on the phone eight, eight, nine, 10 hours out of the day, you have to quit your job, right? Because people are at work between nine and five and you're trying to sell to them. Um, for us, you know, we didn't, you know, our product is different than that. Yeah. You know, well, it's, Mike, it's awesome. Congratulations on the, on the, the huge accomplishment on, on crossing the chasm on taking the leap. I appreciate you trusting me. Um, I certainly trust you and it's an interesting culmination of, of a long life of knowing each other, but it's literally the start. I know it's just the beginning and you know what I if we didn't have each other this would have been harder too I, I will say if you're like alone out there founding your agency and working Justin and I we, we're very lucky because if I had like a work meeting Justin could take over if he had a work meeting I could take over like having two people allowed us to figure out how to how to do how to manage that but if you don't have two heads that's that's tough you know that that that's definitely a tough situation we, we're very lucky that we have each other to to lean back on and and to and to figure this whole journey out well with that um you know we hope we're creating a small amount of value at least in the world and uh we love to talk to anybody that um, could be part of our network or that identifies with our situation or what we're going through um, you know, subscribe to our podcast, send it to your friends and family members and professional coworkers and customers that you think might find some benefit in our conversation and our experience. You know, we're, uh, we like to think that we're kind of nothing special, but we, um, to each other, we are. And, uh, I think we, we have a commitment, um, to the goal that we have set in place and to the type of legacy that we want to build. And, um, we hope that you find some value in our conversation along the way. My thanks Absolutely. for joining, man. Hey, thank you, man. Peace. Peace, everybody.